listening to a podcast from GravityChurch.com, Lodi, California. We'll be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and He knows everything. If we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. Last week, we started talking about this idea of culture. We talked about this, this understanding that when Christ came to the earth, that he was coming into a place in time, he was coming into a geographic location that had a certain way about it. We also started talking about what it is to be a community. Community and culture. A community and its culture. We got to go camping together a few weekends ago. Had a really, really good time last week. We had a highlight reel of that, watching everybody go intertubing and the campfire experiences and the s'mores and the singing and all the great stuff that goes with it. When we were away together, we got to experience some things with each other that we normally wouldn't experience in the normal nine to five, in the normal routine. We stepped out of our normalcy for just a little minute, and in that, we were able to experience some dynamics. We were able to experience some relational dynamics. We were able to experience some things that we normally wouldn't experience with each other. Some of those things we probably didn't want to experience, but nonetheless, for the most part, we got to know each other in a deeper way. We got to know each other in a little bit more of an intimate fashion, and it was really a really beautiful thing. And as we started talking about this idea of community, we started talking about this idea that every community has a culture to it. It has a way that it does what it does. It has a certain way that, that when you go into it, you, you pick up the rules of the game, so to speak. You pick up the way that things are said, the way that things are done, and you begin to adopt these things, or you begin to, to try to navigate those waters to figure out how to get to where you need to get. Many times it's like going to a foreign country and you go in and it's like learning a new language and trying to get to a place to where you can just communicate the most basic of things to somebody. Culture has a lot to do with that. And the reason that it's very important for us to understand this is because in this passage of Scripture, it talks about one of the core needed ingredients for a culture to be able to work and for people within a community to be able to function with each other. And in this passage of Scripture... It talks about this concept of guilt. It talks about this idea that within relationships, there come things that at one time or another have to be resolved. Have any of you here ever had a relationship where there was an argument or somebody did something that offended you or hurt your feelings or you said something stupid to somebody and you know, oh man, I shouldn't have said that. And you're like wishing you could like take it back. You can't. But when those things happen... There becomes something in the relationship that has to be resolved. It's no longer the way that it was. It's something's been injected into it that has to be taken care of. Now, if you're like me, most of us in this room, we don't like the resolving part. That's uncomfortable to us. We would rather just move on. Let's just ignore that little stupid thing I just said to my wife and let's just move on. But the thing that I said doesn't leave. It's a part of what's happened. And now we've got this culture issue. It's been injected into our culture and it's affecting things. In this passage of scripture, it talks about our words. It says, don't just say you love someone. Don't just throw words out there like, oh, I love you, brother, sister, whatever. I'm... Words are cheap. Show it by your actions. Don't just talk about it. Do something about it. Don't just say it. Be it. And then it takes it a step further. It says that our actions show that we actually belong to God. That our actions, the things that we do, not the things that we say, but the things that we do actually demonstrate that we belong to the truth or we belong to God. And then it says something that's really powerful. It says that when we do these things, we feel guilty. But it says that God is even greater than our emotions of guilt. And when we deal with these unresolved issues in our life, we have the guilt removed and we can stand before God with confidence, with courage in our hearts. 
And what is the byproduct of that? Of me standing before God with courage and confidence in my heart, the byproduct of that is that my relational issues get resolved as well. And my life begins to function the way that God wants it to function. See, if I could line it up for you, it would look like this. It would say, when I resolve my sin, it leads to no more guilt. And when I have no more guilt, it leads to me being able to stand before God with confidence. It's this progression that I have to have in my life for me to be able to go before God and know that my hands are clean and that I've dealt with the stuff in my life that I need to deal with. In other words, I'm not leaving the stones left unturned. I'm, I'm looking, I'm doing, I'm doing the things that I have to do. And as we talked about this last week, we started talking about this idea that God has literally planted himself inside of us. And the word that is used in scripture is the word for a seed. Last week we found out that God literally plants himself like a seed in our hearts. And as this seed starts to change and starts to grow and that life that's inside of that seed in our hearts begins to show itself, it affects everything. It affects our world. It affects our relationships. It affects the way that we view things and the way that we treat one another. God's seed is alive and it's growing inside of us and it has a direct link to us resolving our issues, us resolving the things that get into our relationships that separate us, that tear us apart. Because I don't care who you are. I don't care how nice of a person you are. I don't care how good you communicate. I don't care how you do what you do. At some point or another, every single one of us is going to say the wrong thing or is going to be in a relationship where something's going to happen that's going to offend us. Something's going to happen that's going to need to be taken care of. And when that happens, we have to be able to deal with it. We have to be able to come to it. We have to be able to get real about those things in our life that are definitely going to come. But the whole point of us talking about being a community of people and having a culture that comes together, the whole point of this, of this quest that we're on to find these things out is so that we can wrap our puny little brains about, around this huge concept that God came to this world in the form of a man and his whole heart was centered around bringing us back to him through Jesus. And one of the things that was a direct result of this is that God began to create a culture of grace where sin is easily resolved. Easily resolved. Now, how many of you know that most of the time, it's not easy for us to resolve our stuff, right? It's not easy it's like the worst thing in the world. It's like, are you kidding me? I have to say I'm sorry. You guys remember those, those movies, Happy Days? Anybody remember the Fonz? I was, I was pretty small, but I remember the Fonz. And if you guys ever watched the TV show back then, there was this cool guy, and it was based on the 50s. And this guy was this you know, main character that everybody wanted to be like, Arthur Fonzarelli. And he could not say sorry. It was like this, this whole plot about this whole TV show. He couldn't say this. And, and several series, uh, you know, episodes would be all around him being wrong about something and him having to say sorry. And he couldn't do it. And he would just say, I'm sis, 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 sis. He couldn't say it. But anyway, for us, when we look at our lives sometimes, we feel that same way. We feel like if I've said something, it's hard for me to say I'm sorry or to own that about myself. Or maybe you're on the other side of the fence where you're the one that gets hurt, where you're the ones that people say things to you and you have your feelings hurt. And when you get those emotions of pain or hurt when somebody says something, the last thing in the world that you want to do is actually tell them that they hurt your feelings. You don't want to say anything. You don't want to confront them. You don't want to admit that because it makes you feel weak, it makes you feel like you're, you know, in a place where you're vulnerable. And so we go through life hurting, being hurt, saying things we shouldn't say and not dealing with it, hearing things we shouldn't hear at us and not being able to resolve it. Unresolved issues, unresolved sin, tearing us apart, affecting our community, affecting our culture. And now what do we have to do in order to survive? 
I got all this hurt. I'm hurting people. What do we got to do in our community to be able to get along with each other? Shove it in the closet. Don't talk about it. Hide. Put on a mask. Do whatever you got to do so that you can get through life. And so God says, I'm here in your lives to create a culture of grace where sin can be easily resolved. How many of you would like that? I mean, seriously, to get in a conflict with your spouse or with your children or with your neighbor or with your coworker, and something happens and boom, within 30 seconds, you're done. You deal with it, you move on, and there's no lingering emotions. Does that sound like a dream for you? Oh my gosh, it would just be like, are you serious? I don't have to pout for two weeks. Are you kidding me? This would be amazing just to be able to deal with stuff and move on. In the book of Luke, we're going to read a story together a very, very interesting story, and it's, it's at the very beginning of the book of Luke. And if you've ever read any of the stories about Jesus in the Bible, then you'll know that there are four different people in the Bible who shared stories about Jesus. And these four different people actually lived with Christ. They were ones that walked with him and talked with him and listened to his teaching. They were ones that were eyewitnesses to his miracles. These were guys that were there. They saw it and they told their firsthand account. And their names in the very beginning of the New Testament of the Bible are Matthew, Luke, Mark, and John. There's four guys that each tell their eyewitness account of what it looked like to live with Jesus. And it's fascinating for me to read the four different accounts because everyone has its own different flavor to it. Everyone has its own variation of their firsthand account. Right now, if I were to bring people up in front of you, and we do this from time to time, we've got Matt and his family here and they do these fantastic drama skits for us, which we love. If I were to have Matthew come up right now and I were to have him do some type of a caricature or some type of a drama for everybody to see, and then I were to say, now, Dave, what did you see? Dave would say, oh, I saw Matt and he was acting this way and doing all this stuff. And I would say, that's great. And I would say to Zach, Zach, what did you see? And he'd be like, I didn't even see Matthew up there. I was too busy looking at his daughter, Sarah. I don't know what Matthew did. And you would have all these different stories, but they were all looking at the same thing. They're all staring at the stage, but their focal point and their focus was on different things. And that's what it's so, it's like for me when I read scripture, it's like I get something different out of each one of these guys' perspectives because they were there, but maybe they were sitting in a different place in the room and they saw something different. And so it's cool to be able to read all these stories. And I tell you all that to tell you that in the beginning of the book of Luke, it starts off different than some of the other books of the Bible. Like in the book of Matthew, it starts off with the birth of Jesus and it goes through all kinds of history of his family and everything. But in the book of Luke, right in the beginning, it talks about Jesus going through this really hairy experience with the devil. It starts out with Jesus going out into the desert, into this wilderness, and for 40 days, he doesn't eat anything, he doesn't drink anything, and Satan himself comes and has it out with Jesus. And the story is laid out for, for us to see, and it shows us this this perfect example of light and darkness shows us this vivid image of the fact that we are not alone in this universe, that we see things all around. And sometimes we like to walk through life with our eyes closed because we don't really want to know what's going on, but it's real and it's going on. And Jesus goes through this experience where he literally has the fight of his life with Satan himself. And at the end of it, he comes out of it and he comes into this emotional experience of being launched into ministry. It's like the fire, the trial by fire he goes through. And at the very end of it, he comes out and he immediately goes into this season in his life of ministering to other people. And this is when Jesus's miracles started to happen. And this is when Jesus started to teach and started to do all these things. And so in Luke chapter four, right after he gets done with this in encounter with Satan, it says, in verse number uh, 14, Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about Jesus spread quickly through the whole region. Jesus taught regularly 
in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, Jesus went as usual to the synagogue or the church on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to Jesus, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where these words were written. Jesus says these words out loud. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. And all the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. And then Jesus began to speak to them. And he said, The scripture that you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of Jesus and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? And then Jesus said this. He said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb. You'll say, physician, heal yourself. Meaning, do miracles here in your hometown like those that you did in Capernaum or the other cities. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. In this interaction here, it's very, very fascinating because Jesus goes to a very familiar place and does a very familiar thing. He went to church every, every Sabbath day. Scripture tells us that every, every Sabbath, Jesus went to the church or the synagogue and that's where he was at. But something very different happened on this day. Something very different happened at this point in Jesus' life. He was a man. He had been to the synagogue. He had been to this church many, many times before. But what was different about this time? What was different about this day? Jesus was talking to a community that he knew very well. It was his hometown. He was raised in this place. And in this culture, you knew everybody. And even part of the story, they said, who is this? We know this kid. This is, this is Joseph's kid. What is he doing here? We know this guy. Jesus knew the culture. He knew what they were all about. And he knew where their hearts were at. And he knew where their minds were at. But this day was different. This day, as he stood before the congregation of people. And as the scroll was handed to him, he knew right where to turn. Because this was a day when God from above was coming through loud and clear with his plan of salvation. And Jesus opens up the scroll and he begins to read this ancient prophecy that had been told Many, many years before that all of these people in the room knew very well. They knew it by heart. And these words that Jesus began to tell were about a coming day, a coming person, a Messiah, a Savior that would come to them and would rescue them and would take care of them and bring them to the place that had been promised. And on this day, when Jesus opens this scroll and he begins to read it, he's reading it with a different tone in his voice. He's not reading it as something that's going to happen in the future. He's not reading it as, a, as an, an event that's to come, someday to come. He's reading it as if it's happening right now. And he begins to say some powerful words. He begins to say things like, I have good news for the poor. Good news for the poor. He says these words about the captives being released and the blind eyes being made to see. The year of the Lord's favor. And he summarizes it by referring to, a, to a, a specific event in their culture called Jubilee. 
If you study Jewish culture and you, you study their, their history, you find out that way back in the early days of their existence, God came to them and God laid out some very specific things for them, some specific things that he wanted in their relationship for them to be able to exist with God and to be able to have a relationship with God in some fashion until the Messiah could come. And one of these things that God said to them very specifically is he said, every 50 years, it's like somebody's going to push a reset button. Every 50 years, I want all the debts wiped out. If you know somebody that's in debt, how would you like that? If you were like, if I can hang on another year, baby. God called it Jubilee, the year of Jubilee. Everything hit reset. Not just the debts got canceled, but if you had the unfortunate lot in life to be born into slavery because in their culture there was slavery going on. There were people that were being exchanged like property and it was horrible if you ask me, but that's what their culture and God says, even the slaves get to go free every 50 years. And this is a real trip. You know what God said about property and about the land? He said, everything belongs to me. I own all of it. You're just the ones that take care of it. So every 50 years, I want you to give it back to the original owner that I entrusted it to. If it's changed hands two or three times, it goes back to the original owner every 50 years. Now, I know some of you here right now, you entrepreneurial mindsets or con men, whatever you call yourself, you're already scheming. You're just like, oh, yeah, man, year number 48, I'd start doing all of this and that and everything because Jubilee was coming. And I'm sure that there was some of that going on. But this is the point. The point is, is that when Jesus stands up that day in this congregation of people and he reads from this ancient prophecy, this ancient text, he is no longer just talking about the year of the Lord's favor or jubilee coming every 50 years. He literally says the words, the time of jubilee has come forever. Jubilee is here to stay. It's permanent. In other words, he was saying to this group of people, this skeptical, unbelieving group of people, he was saying, from this day forward, everything changes. Everything changes. And he said, these prophecies today have come true right in front of your eyes. Now, if I were to read the rest of the story to you, but for time's sake, I'm not going to, but you can always look this up and finish this yourself. These people got so mad at Jesus. They were so angry at him standing before them and telling them, I'm the guy. See this? It's talking about me. They were so angry that the Bible says that they got into a mob and they rushed him and they ran him out of the synagogue towards a cliff. They wanted him to fly off the cliff. They were done with this dude and they were going to kill him. They were literally going to throw him off of a cliff because they were so angry at what he was saying. Jesus didn't die that day. Matter of fact, a miracle happened that day. Though they were so angry and though they had come together in this frenzy, the Bible says that he walked right through the crowd and nobody even touched him. And you know what happened as soon as he walked through the crowd? He walked into the next town that he came to and he encountered a man that had been messed with his whole life by a demon. I don't know if you know anybody who's ever dealt with spirits or demons before. But I'm going to tell you that it's not just in Hollywood. It's real. And it happens. And if you've ever known anybody who's had this unfortunate event in their life, you'll know that it's absolutely horrific. They're scared to death and they feel absolutely powerless. And Jesus walks right through that crowd, walks right into the town and sees this person and he speaks to the demon and the demon leaves. In other words, Jesus said, not only am I reading 
from the scripture that the day has come. Follow me and I'm going to show you that the day has come. The oppressed are going to be set free right here, right now. And he walked into that man's life and that man was set free from that demon. In other words, Jesus didn't just talk. He showed it with his actions. These people were in a place that many of us are in tonight because they were faced with something that was really, really heavy. They were faced with the opportunity to believe the truth. But they were having a hard time with it, as many of us do. Jesus stood before them and he literally said to them by his actions and by his words, if you can get past, if you can get past the truth about who you are, then you will see the truth about who I am. And tonight, many of us are in that same place as we stand here. We come here, some of us, from all kinds of different backgrounds. There's people from different churches here tonight. There's people that have no relationship with God, who've never read the scripture, who your only concept of spirituality has to do with what you've seen on TV or what you've picked up from culture. And we all have our way of formulating our ideas about God and spirituality. And as we come here tonight, each one of us are faced with that same choice. That if we can get past who we are, we will truly see who he is. And as we talk about our community, we talk about our culture, we begin to understand that in order for this dynamic to take place, that we all long for, for us to be able to come together and for us to be able to easily resolve our issues and our sin and to be able to easily resolve the things that go wrong in our conversation and in our communication and for us to easily forgive and to be forgiven, for us to easily let things go and let our anger subside. In order for this to take place, there's got to be something that happens. And that thing that has to happen is that honesty has to begin to flow. Honesty has to begin to flow. See, in this culture that Jesus knew so well, in this town, in this group of people, just like our day here now, there was a lot of deceit. But it wasn't people lying to each other. It was people lying to themselves. There was a lot of self deceiving going on. There was a lot of people who were taking the teachings of God, the law of Moses, and they were lying to themselves, thinking that somehow, some way, they could do it. They could keep it. They could live according to it in such a way that eventually they would be perfect and they could attain to some form of godliness and righteousness and they were lying to themselves. And the lies that they believed about themselves were so deep and so embedded in them that when Jesus stood before them and began to teach something different, they had a hard time swallowing that pill. You say here tonight, well, that was a long time ago. I don't even get it. What do you mean I lie to myself? That was them. I don't believe anything about all these weird laws of Jewish history. That's not me. I don't believe any of these things. And yet, you and I come here tonight. We sit here in this room tonight. And we too have believed certain things about our relationship with God. And certain things that we think that it takes to be either a Christian or a follower of God or whatever you want to call yourself. And we make our own little system up. We play our own little game with God. We think in our minds, well, you know, if I do these things really good, maybe if I cut down on the sinful behaviors in my life, well, on this side of my life, God's going to be proud of me. God's going to feel good about me. God's going to answer my prayers. We make this scale system in our life without even thinking about it. And we think, as long 
as my bad stuff isn't as heavy as my good stuff, well, then I'm going to go to church this week and I'm going to sing and I'm going to feel good about myself. And when people ask me how I'm doing, I'm going to look them in the eye and I'm just like, man, I'm, I'm good. I'm really good. Because in my mind, it all comes back to this imaginary scale of my bad stuff versus my good stuff. And we too have deceived ourselves. Maybe it's not sinful behavior for you that you wrestle with. Maybe it's you working for God. And you begin to think in terms of, man, I'm doing so much good stuff in my life. I help this person. I help that person. Anytime anybody needs anything, man, I'm right there. I'm always doing all this good stuff. And so, so in our mind, we begin to formulate this feeling of confidence. I feel good. I feel good about myself when I talk to God. I feel good about myself because I'm such a good Christian. We lie to ourselves too. That very first scripture that we read in the book of John, it said that true confidence when we come before God comes from one thing and one thing only. When our guilt has been lifted and removed from us. When our guilt is removed, we feel free. And we can come to God with confidence and courage in our heart. We can come to God because we understand that I've been forgiven. I've been set free. And it all starts with honesty with myself. A community of people who value in their culture honesty, coming clean, taking your mask off, quit faking it, letting people in, letting people get to know you, letting people in your space, even when it's uncomfortable, letting people love you, even in your brokenness and ugliness and sin. Honesty, honesty, honesty. What's the opposite of honesty? Lying. What does lying lead to? Covering it up. What does covering it up mean, lead to? Coming up with more lies, exactly. The perpetuating cycle. I got to lie and then I got to cover up and then I got to lie and then I got to cover up and then I got to remember the lies that I told. And if you got a brain like mine, I would literally have to write my lies down on the phone so I would remember what lies I told because my memory stinks. But then I got evidence to get rid of, right? It's bad. It's all bad. I've been watching this amazing dynamic of honesty playing out in your lives, playing out in my life. I've been watching certain people who begin by taking that first step. It's like watching, watching that person on, on the first day of summer when they don't know if the water's warmed up yet by the sun, they get up next to it and they just stick their tippy toe in it just to test it just to see how cold is this really going to be before I jump in. That's what we do with each other. We test the water. Sometimes it starts on a Wednesday night in a Bible study. We'll get in a small group and we'll, we'll listen to the other people around us and we'll be like, oh, hmm, these people seem to be talking to each other and they seem to be, they seem to be you know, normal somewhat. I mean, as normal as we can be in this room, but they seem to be like they're, you know, not judging each other or cutting people off. I, hmm. I'll just sit back and watch for a few weeks and see what happens. Maybe say a little thing and see how they respond to me. We stick our foot in the water a little bit. And then after that, we begin to open up just a little bit. We begin to talk. And at the end, maybe it's time for prayer. And we say, hey, does anybody need prayer for something? It's like, okay, I got, I got a sick Aunt Sally. We don't even have an Aunt Sally. But we're just, we want to say something to see how you react. And you pray and you give us compassion and you're actually empathetic and you actually care. And we pray for your Aunt Sally who doesn't exist with all of our heart just so you'd be able to test the water. And then maybe it goes further and you're out front and you spend some time talking to somebody one-on-one -on -one and you begin to share with them just a little bit about your story, a little bit about where you come from to see if they're going to judge you, see if they're going to, oh yeah, here's what you need to do, let me fix you. You know, 
We do these things. We play these games with each other. All of us do it because we have such a hard time with what? Honesty. This is the progression of us leading to getting real with ourselves, with others, and ultimately with God. Well, there's been some really unique and amazing stories that I've had the privilege of watching unfold before my very eyes. And without using any names, I can tell you that there's people in this room right now who in the last six months have come clean to people in their life about certain secrets that they had carried for years. Matter of fact, one person that I know of had told me, I will never, ever tell this secret because they were so convinced that the weight of the secret and the pain that it would cause would be so great that they had emotionally equipped themselves to go to the grave carrying this thing. Now the progression happens. They stick their toe in the water. They start to ask about Aunt Sally. They do this, they do that. And the next thing you know, they're opening up with somebody and they're getting real and they're saying, this is who I really am. And all of a sudden, I'm watching the power of God come into an environment, a culture that supports honesty and saying, watch what God is going to do with a person who gets honest. And all of a sudden, that same person, months later, who has sworn to me they'll never, ever tell their family and friends what they do, they have not only told what they've done, but they have experienced healing for what they've done. They've experienced trust being rebuilt in their life. And they are so happy with the results of their honesty that if I told them to stand up in front of you and to wear a big t-shirt saying what they did, they would do it right now. They'd be like, oh, I'm a liar and this is my lie because it feels so good to be free from the weight of what they've been going through. And the weight of what they're carrying is not a lie. Don't sit here and judge. We do that. We sit here and we go, oh, yeah, that's good. I know that. Oh, I know a guy like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's got to be heavy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, don't do that because the weight isn't from the lie that they're carrying. The weight is because they're lying to themselves. And you all suffer from it too, just like I do. And it's heavy sitting under the weight of a lie that we tell ourselves. And Jesus comes into this culture of people and he says these powerful words. He says, as I stand before you today, I am the one that the prophets told you was coming and I have the power to set you free from the lie that you've been believing if you will believe in me and if you will get honest. And the people were so angry that they tried to run him off a cliff. Because getting honest is not as easy as it sounds. And yet I will stand here before you and tell you that the journey for me of getting honest with myself, as painful and as hard and as long as I drug it out, I'll tell you that I will never go back to living a life of lying to myself because I feel so free and so light that I, I can't tell you the difference, but I don't ever want to hide again because it feels so good to be known and to be loved for who I am, as jacked up as I am and as many things as I mess up on and say and do, you still get to know the real me. And I can't tell you of a greater feeling in the world than to be known with all of my flaws and still to be loved. My friends, I'm telling you, that you are sitting in a place right here, right now, of a community of people who have given themselves for a culture that supports you getting honest. And I can tell you with absolute confidence that if you will get honest with yourself and with God and with us, we will love you unconditionally. We don't care what you've done or where you've been. We love you. Because our love is not based upon performance, it's based upon your worth. And your worth comes from the fact that you were created in the image of God. And God loves you because you look just like him. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, look at these verse, these words. In red, it says, at just the right time, God says, I heard you. He says, I heard you. Salvation came for you. He says, I helped you. And he said, the time is now. Right now is the time. Today's the day for salvation. Today is the day to get honest. Today is the day for you to receive the help of God, for you to be able to experience the salvation that Jesus brought, that he stood before. Today is the day for you to experience jubilee. It's not just every 50 years that God hits a reset button anymore. It's not every 50 years now that God says, the slaves get to get set free, the blind eyes get to get opened, the oppressed get to be delivered. No, God says, Jesus says, these powerful words, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Our church is in the poorest part of Lodi. My heart breaks when I look out this front steps of this building and I see the effects of poverty. My heart breaks when I hear the stories of people that don't have enough money to make a choice between paying rent or feeding their children. I cry because the effects of poverty destroy lives. And God cries too, because when he created this world, he didn't create it to be impoverished. He furnished it with everything that it needed to be healthy and vibrant and full of life. And sin came in and it wiped it out and it impoverished it. And God says, I got to go and make things right. I've got to come and find a way to make the old brand new again. I've got to come and find a way to get to the children that I hear their cries. They're suffering from poverty. I've got to find a way to meet their needs. And Jesus stands before the congregation. He says, I am the way. God has heard your cries and he's standing right here. And I've heard what you need and I'm here to give it to you. Jubilee has come. The answer to your prayers has come. Believe in me, and your life will be made brand new. The effects of poverty that, have, that you've suffered from, let God into your life, and let him start to reorder your life. Let him start to teach you what you were never taught as a child. Let him start to show you and parent you and model for you the life skills that you were deprived from, from your society and your culture and your family upbringing. Let God in to start to reset your mind and your heart and the belief system that you were born with. Let God in and bring Jubilee because he's here and today's the day for you. If your father was absent, if your mother abused you verbally, if you were a latchkey kid that grew up raising yourself, if you were raised in a culture and environment that didn't value education, if you were raised in an environment where you never saw what it looked like to go to work, where you never looked, saw what it looked like to hug your children or to tell them I love you or to nurture them or to pour your life into them, if you never saw these things, God wants you to know that today is the day of salvation. And salvation encompasses every one of those things. It's a part of the deal. God wants to come into your life and he wants to teach you how to parent. He wants to teach you how to be a man or a woman that provides financially for your family. He's a, he's a God that wants to teach you what it is to understand structure and discipline and how to submit to authority. He's a God that wants to teach you what it looks like to humble yourself and how to be strong and to have self-confidence and how to model that for your life and how to be responsible and how to tell the truth and how not to steal and how to let things go when you get angry and how to forgive and to move on. God says that's a part of salvation. Jubilee has come. Will you open up your heart and let him in? So many times we think that we've got God all figured out. We've got church all figured out. We've got religion all figured out. I've been doing this my whole life. 
I don't know crap about it. And I say that with all sincerity. I have given up more knowledge and more formulas and more methods for how to do things. And I've abandoned them and walked away. And I, Jesus, I just want you. Take me and make me who you want me to be. And he said, all I want is for you to be honest. And I'll do the rest. Can you be honest tonight? Because this culture that we're experiencing right here, right now, God wants to take it outside these walls. God wants it to affect every church in the city of Lodi. God wants it to affect every believer in the Central Valley that follows after God. And ultimately, God wants it to affect his world. God wants this world changed. God wants to affect the culture of this world. And he wants to do it through you. He wants to do it through me. God wants to fix what has been damaged. And God wants for us to be the perpetrators of it. I'm going to have the band come back up. I'm going to have them come. And if you've never been here before on a Saturday night, this is a really special time for us. This next few moments is a time that we've carved out of our agenda every week. And as a community of people, we've made a decision to inject into our culture a time to get honest with God. We do it a lot of different ways. But one of the things that we usually do and that we will do tonight is we come to these tables, several of them set up, and on these tables we find a couple things. One, we find bread, and we find these little vessels that contain juice. And when we read Scripture, we find that there's a real intimate encounter where Jesus has a conversation with his followers, his disciples. And it's a very honest conversation. Matter of fact, it's so brutally honest that in this conversation, Jesus actually says to his group of friends that have assembled, one of you sitting at this table with me, Jesus says, is going to betray me. You're going to turn me in to the authorities that are trying to find me that want to take my life. Jesus sits down with his best friends who for three years of their life have gone through hell and high water. They've seen miracles. They've seen all these different encounters. And Jesus sits there with one of them and he says, one of you here is about to turn on me. You're going to rat me out. You're going to take and you're going to Go to the authorities and you're going to turn me in. Now, in this room right here, there's a lot of people, and I don't want you to raise your hand, but there's a lot of people that have spent a few days, at least, locked up, okay? And when you're behind bars, from what I've heard, the worst thing in the world to be is a snitch. Am I right? There's nothing worse than turning on somebody. And Jesus says to his friends sitting at this table, one of you is about to turn me in and you're going to do it for money. The lowest of low. And they start mumbling to themselves. The story goes, they start talking to each other. They're just like, is he talking about me? Is he talking about you? Are you going to do it? Who's going to do this? And Jesus hears these guys talking to themselves and he says these words. He says, the one that I dip my bread in the juice or the wine and I give my bread to is the one that's going to do it. And he takes his bread and he dips it in the juice and he walks over to a man named Judas. And you know what he says to Judas? The man who he knows is going to sell him out for some cheap cash. He says, my friend, he calls him his friend. He says, what you do, go and do it quickly. Jesus, in his final moments, 
demonstrates to us what it looks like to resolve his issues easily. He doesn't hold a grudge. He doesn't fight. He doesn't get angry. He goes to him willingly. He says, go and do it. He calls him his friend and he kisses him. And then Jesus comes back to the table. And he says to his other disciples, he says, every single time that you guys get together from this day forward, I want you to bring out the bread and I want you to bring out the juice and I want you to remember me and remember this moment. Remember this moment in our culture. Remember honesty and what it looks like. Remember me and how I resolve my issues. Remember what this looks like to be free from the sin and the weight of it. And so every Saturday night we come to these tables and we say, God, I got to get honest with you again. It's all about you, Jesus. And we take this bread and we dip it in the juice. And then we say to God, God, talk to me. I'm listening. All week long, I got all these distractions and all these noises. But right here, right now, I'm listening. Talk to me. And then we kneel or we find a place of prayer or we sing or we do whatever it is that you and your heart do to respond to God. But the point is, is that you got to respond to God. You got to get real and you got to get honest. So we're going to turn the lights off. These guys are going to sing. We're going to open our hearts up to God. And you respond to God in an honest fashion, however that looks for you. Church.com.